This episode is sponsored by IntelliFluence. Are you a digital marketer looking for the best value in influencer marketing? With a background in SEO and social media marketing, IntelliFluence is an expert in helping brands and digital agencies create and promote content across multiple channels. Instagram, TikTok, over 220,000 influencers joined our network to work with you. Need bloggers? IntelliFluence has over 19,000 of them. Use the promo code CONTRARIAN to get a 60-day free trial on a plan today. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Contrarian Marketing Podcast, where we give you ideas you might not be thinking about. Today, we're talking about the risks and rewards of influencer campaigns. Before we jump in though, Eli, have you heard about Samsung threatening Google to not use them as the default search engine anymore on their devices? Yeah, I heard about that, but I feel like it's just posturing and they're looking for another deal. But in the articles talking about that, did you see the insane amounts of money that Google pays Apple and Mozilla Firefox to like be the default search engines there? Like Google's really paying to play. And if they open that up and now Bing can pay to play, that will upend the entire world. Google is absolutely paying to play. They pay Apple a bit over $20 billion. So we're actually going to see if that lump sum is steady this year or not. I'm, I'm curious. And supposedly, this is only already five years ago, but supposedly they paid Samsung $3.5 billion. Now, Samsung has just a little bit less market share than Apple. I think it's about 27% when it comes to smartphones. So big price difference. That must mean that there has to be at least a 2x multiple for Google, maybe 3x multiple coming out of this deal. So if they pay Samsung $3.5 billion, that means they must it must be worth at least 7 to $10 billion for Google unless they just try to block competitors for entering the market. What, which one do you think is, is more likely? So here's the interesting point, and, and I just want to get the data here, but what do you think Google's percentage of market share is on desktops? 90, I mean, it depends on where as well, but it is a globally average, I would say 90%. It's about 85 to 90. I don't know what we can trust. Then <laughs> just Google it. But now let's think about what is Microsoft's Microsoft Windows market share of desktop computers. And one stat I got from investing.com is they have about 30% market share, which I think is probably wrong. Statista has it at around 75%. So somewhere in there, Windows has a vast amount of market share. They, oh, actually, Statista is 83% of market share, which makes sense to me because they're competing only against Mac. and a little bit of Linux, a little bit of Chrome, but it makes sense that most computers out there are running Windows. So on the computers running Windows, and I'm one of those people, and I know you're cool and you have a Mac, but on those computers running Windows, Bing is everywhere and Edge is everywhere. Edge is what they now call like Internet Explorer. So many of those people, I don't know the math on that. We have to do like, what's 90% of 80%, right? Well, all those people are changing the default search engine from Bing to Google. So how damaging would it be if Samsung dumped Google? Yes, financially damaging, but how many of those people are going to be like, what the hell is this Bing thing? Or <laughs> let's say Samsung does its own like hybrid search engine, like the DuckDuckGo-ish kind of thing. How many of those people are going to be like, no, no, I'm going back to Google. I'm comfortable with Google. We also can't forget is how much of the world Google owns, and we're eventually going to do a big tech episode of like how Google's got their, you know, fingers into everything. How many of those people are going to try to log into, or they're going to 
Bing Google. They're going to go on Bing search engine for their Samsung device and find Gmail. And then Google's going to be like, did you know you're not using Google? And then they're going to switch to Google. So much of that's going to happen or they're going to go log into Nest thermostat and they're going to change to Google. Again, there's so many things people are using. They're going to use a Google calendar. You know, Samsung has their own calendar, but it doesn't sync as well. So all those things, I'm not as concerned. Yes, I think Google should be concerned because, you know, shareholder value, and we're going to talk about shareholder value in this episode. I don't think it really upends the world. The biggest thing that, you know, freaks me out is how many of my friends and colleagues at, that work at Google, former colleagues that work at Google, tell me that Bard was half-baked, that Google released a half-baked competitor to ChatGPT. That scares me more because the world is changing and <laughs> Google wasn't ready. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's 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 really interesting because you can see, for example, that in in you know when you when you compare Slack against Microsoft Teams, Microsoft's actually way ahead of the numbers that that Slack pulls up because Slack is a Silicon Valley phenomenon. But so many people who are not part of that tribe, I would say, they use Microsoft Windows or Microsoft products, and they use Teams because it kind of comes out of the box as a package deal. So it it all goes to show, and I wanted to talk about this in the intro how important some of these partnerships are in the you know in, 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 the, in the business world you know whether it's really important or not google scrambled after samsung threatened to drop them as the default search engine and whether you know it's to get a better deal or something else we can speculate about that but it goes to show the importance of partnerships between companies and today we want to talk about partnerships between companies and individuals who have a brand and so we want to talk specifically as a kind of a conversion starter about the Budweiser scandal. So I want to quickly elaborate what happened here. In early April, Dylan Mulvaney, a TikTok celebrity with 10 million followers, got a custom Budweiser can with their face on it to celebrate their anniversary of their gender transition. And so Dylan posted that on TikTok, got a huge backlash from conservatives. Kid Rock, <laughs> apparently still alive, recorded himself shooting Bud Light bottles and saying Bud Light and and Hauser Bush and other conservatives followed suit, including Ron DeSantis. And then on April 14th, the CEO of Anheuser Busch put out a big statement on the website defending the campaign. So the the company stands behind the campaign, and there's kind of like this backlash that happened. So that's kind of the setup of why we want to talk about partnerships between big companies and individuals who have a brand. And I'm going to pass it over to you, Eli, as first mover. What do you think? You know, was it the wrong move, right move? Yeah, so, so first, I think, we, you know, before we started, we discussed this word influencer. I don't like the word influencer, and I also don't like the word celebrity. I like the word individual brand because I think that's the really the challenge. Dylan has their own brand, and Bud Light had a brand, and now the brands have to move in sync, and that's always a risk. So, you know, as we talked about the intro, like Google has a brand and Samsung has a brand and they work in sync, but let's say they went a different direction. Like, let's say, you know, hopefully this never happens, but like we go to war with China, Samsung takes China's side and we're America and Google's an American company. Those brands are now not in sync. And you watch like all the things that happened with like brands in Russia, tech companies in Russia, where they needed to like decouple from their country. They didn't get backlashed against their shareholders and against their employees. So I think that's the challenge. So when you think about celebrity influencers, they have their own brands. They're online with whatever it is that they do. And then you have a company that has a brand and they need to be in sync. And there's a risk both ways. Let's say Bud Light did something that Dylan Mulvaney didn't agree with. Dylan Mulvaney will get the backlash. 
of what Bud Light did. So those are just brands and those you know more than individuals like you know buyers of Bud Light are just buyers of Bud Light. They can't really impact the brand unless they do it in mass. Individual brands do have that risk. Just to go back on the recap where you said so like I, I put up a poll on LinkedIn just asking people if they were the CMO of Anheuser-Busch would they have partnered with Dylan Mulvaney? I uh, 76% said no. And that's not getting into the politics of it, you know, conservative, liberal, progressive. It's really there's a risk. And I think when it comes to individual brand campaigns, there's more risk than anything. You know, when you do like, let's say a paid marketing campaign, your risk is the money. You do a Super Bowl ad that's just a Super Bowl ad, your risk is it doesn't work out. But when you make a statement, when you work with another brand, the risk is those brands aren't in sync. You know, the rewards are also similarly high. I think the risk reward ratio is way outpaces anything else. Probably the, the best example, and I can't wait to watch this new movie, have you seen the, the movie about Michael Jordan and, and Nike? Not yet, but it's supposed to be incredible. Right. So it, it talks about Ben Affleck, Matt Damon. So it talks about like how Nike made this huge bet on Michael Jordan in 1984 and he was a rookie and they put all of their budget into Michael Jordan. And the risk was obviously they lose the money. The risk was Michael Jordan, you know, did something wrong, but the reward is they became the dominant athletic brand because of that. They could have advertised in the Super Bowl every single day and not seen those kind of returns. And they, they got these incredible returns. But of course, you know, on the risk side and the companies didn't work out for, and it's not only, you know, as Joe Mulvaney example, like I think this happens over and over again. A couple months ago, we were talking about Kanye. Adidas is partnered with Kanye and Kanye said anti-Semitic things and did all, all sorts of other things that now reflected on whoever he was partnered with. And if they didn't dump him, it backlashes on them. And Kyrie had the same thing with Nike. Like Kyrie said things that the public didn't agree with. So now that reflect on Nike. So those are always the, the controversies. So should Bud have done this partnership with Dylan Mulvaney? I think that the deeper question is, are companies required to have corporate and social responsibility for what, they, what the public believes is right? Or did they just have responsibility to shareholder value? So before I state my opinion, Kevin, what do you think? The honest thought is, I see where you're coming from, but I think the risk is actually smaller than it seems. A couple of reasons why. Number one, usually the, the, the social media backlash washes away pretty quickly, right? The conversation moves on. You have that maybe for a couple of days, it's uncomfortable, but most of the times, unless you do something really messed up or really foundationally wrong, the backlash kind of washes away. When, when you look at the data, these kind of positioning campaigns with celebrities, like taking a stand and usually around inclusion, actually, I don't want to say they're, they're lucrative. It's probably the technically right term. It's probably, you know, but, but they're, they're, they turn out positive for most companies. When you think about Colin Kaepernick and Nike teaming up, I think there was in 2018, I might be off, fact check me. Yeah. But that, that's a good example. Like ever since then, the, the stock price has significantly increased. And it's not just because of that partnership, but Nike did a great job collaborating with known people of color uh, like Kaepernick or like Serena Williams. Uh, and I think it, it really helped their positioning. And I think it was, it was a great marketing play. M&M put out this campaign with the spokes candies, basically supporting women with a public campaign. And they also got some backlash for that, but they also saw their stock price increase or, or basically Mars, the, the company behind M&M. So I, I think most of these campaigns actually turn out well. And if both the brands or the partners are not in sync anymore, 
I actually think that's an opportunity for companies to take a stand, positioning themselves according to their values. So if you look at Adidas and Kanye, Adidas was actually very quick about distancing themselves from Kanye and taking, taking a stand and showing everybody, hey, look, we're not up for this. It doesn't matter if we had a partnership before or not. These are our values. And if our partnership is not aligned with values, then we're going to distance ourselves. So I think that risk is a little lower, actually, and the reward is much, much higher. But when it comes to the corporate social responsibility, I think it's a very, very controversial topic, and it fits perfectly to this podcast. And my short opinion, because I've been talking for a while, is that this goes into both directions, right? You can do harm and you can do good. And I think doing good is respectable, but optional. But doing harm is is not optional. Like you have to, you have, you have to do your part to avoid that. And that's where I think, you know, for example, gas companies that, that create like these massive oil spills in the ocean, they have a responsibility to avoid that and to clean that up and to, you know, to prevent it from happening in the future. But I don't think it, it, they have to, it's respectable, it's great, but they don't have to lean into the positive where they go out of their way to do good. It's, I, I love companies doing that, but I don't think it's an obligation. I love this. And this is where we're going to have a contrarian marketing standpoint. I don't think companies are required to do good necessarily because if you think about who's they, right? So like in this calculation, who's the they? So it's the founders. So they started the company. So let's say the founders of Google, it's the current executives. And then it, the rest, and I'm not going to count the employees, but the rest is shareholders. So when you say they, like who's responsible to it? It's like, you know, a company spilling oil, that's a terrible thing. Are the shareholders responsible to pay for picking up the oil? The government forces them to do it, but on their own, our individual shareholders, do they have to pull money out of their pocket to pay for a mistake they didn't make? Are the founders responsible when they founded a company and have now left the company? Are they responsible when they didn't make the mistake? Are the employees who did it, but they did it because someone else told them to. So like it, it gets murky. So that's where I think the law has to step in. So with oil spill, I think it's very clear in that we have a law for it. Now let's go to a different kind of government. Let's go to Google. Is Google responsible to make sure that their buses that they run up and down Silicon Valley, bringing employees to office, are they responsible to make sure that those are hybrids or electric power? I don't think so, right? Unless the government mandates them to do it. I don't think on their own, they have to cost themselves more money because that deprives shareholder values. Like I don't think the shareholders should be forced to do that unless they're told up front, like you're buying a company and this is, this is their values and this is what you're going to get out of your returns. I don't think they should be required to do that. So I think it really comes down to like, who is making these statements? Like, again, if you and I, like we, each of us are our own individual companies, should we be required to fund our own, like do things that are supposedly right that we don't agree to that? I think that's the question. And I, I think that's the question you know, when companies step into issues where there's backlash, should they have even been going there? When a company does something and it causes losses to shareholder value, that I think is a good instance where, you know, shareholders would want to pull out and not invest in that company because they're not signing up for that kind of thing. That's my take. I don't think, I think it's murky to describe who the, who the they is and who has to be responsible. Again, unless there's a government organization that comes in and says, you're required to do this as a company in our country. You're required, let's say, again, going back to the example where horribly we go to war with China, where America would say, Google, you're an American company, you have to stand with American troops no matter what. And Samsung, 
is on the other side because of the reasons they chose to. So now you're going to be opposed. Unless the government forces a company to do something, I don't think companies should be forced to do something. Because again, it comes down to like founders, executives, and shareholders, who the they is. I think, I think um, I broadly agree with you, but there, there is one, one point where I see it a bit differently. I think it depends on how the company positions themselves. Right? If Google says, look, we're super environmentally conscious, we research to avoid pollution and all that kind of stuff, we're doing all these things for the environment, and then they use gas-driven buses that pollute the environment, then I think they have a responsibility to change something. But if they don't do that, then I don't think they have a responsibility. Maybe the makers of the bus have a responsibility to change something about the environment if they care about it. I agree with you that when it comes to forcing companies, that's something that only the government can do. Or maybe large investors. There's you know, like this whole game with equity and having a vote in the company politics and strategy. But when it comes to should, should they do it, it totally depends on the promise they make and the premise they operate under, right? So with Google, for example, the, the whole kind of do no evil positioning, which went away, by the way, in the meantime, that kind of, in my mind, closed some doors and it worked out perfectly to them. So I think companies have an obligation, they have a responsibility on both sides, they have a shareholder responsibility, which is super important. And they also have some sort of responsibility to be a good citizen of the, of the world. And that really depends on how they position themselves and what, what their values are. I think this, this is kind of a little bit of the disconnect. And that's where I actually respect the statement of Anheuser Bush's CEO, where he said, look, our mission is to bring people together. We're not here to divide people. We're going to fight for that. You know, that even means that he did not even address the people who don't agree with the Dylan Mulvaney campaign. That just means he put out a public statement kind of telling both sides, look, we're not here to fight. We want to bring people together. That's what the brand stands for. If you don't agree with the campaign, then that's kind of your thing. But we're not even going to be, we're not going to even shun you. And I think that's kind of, that's a smart way to go about it. I don't know. You agree or disagree? I think they took an unnecessary risk. I, I think they, you're right or wrong, right? Like we're not going to weigh in at all on this is the right thing to do for the direction of the world. But it is a topic that if they were in tune with what their customers wanted, they would know that there would be backlash. They took a risk that there would be backlash from customers and it could harm shareholder value, which interestingly enough, it did not, right? Like, so there's been this whole boycott against Bud, but their stock is just fine. Looked at that. So check out their stock. It's the ticker symbol, Bud. they took an unnecessary risk because they would have had to have their heads on the ground to not think that somebody or large amounts of people would get very upset. So again, should they do these things if they were individuals? That's up to them. But as stewards of shareholder value, I think that's the risk of influencer campaigns or celebrity campaigns or individual campaigns that you're now attaching to something else and it could be potentially risky and they're safe bets. So why don't we transition into like, how do you do this in a safe way? And like wrap up with that. So our, our sponsor for this episode is, in, is IntelliFluence, which is an amazing resource. And, you know, we had it in the pre-roll, we talked about what they do, but just to restate what they do is like, it's an amazing resource, I think, to find micro-influencers. I think that's the, the word that people use. So a micro-influencer is, Kevin, you're a micro-influencer. I want to sponsor you. I want to do a podcast with you. You're awesome. So a micro-influencer is... <laughs> somebody that has a brand platform and in Kevin's case, like he puts something on Twitter and he gets a gazillion likes no matter what time of day is. So getting Kevin to say something 
or link to something or talk about something, even for free or paid, there's upside to it. And I think micro-influencers is a great way to get what I think many brands watch is in front of more people. So get in front of Kevin's audience, get in front of my audience, get in front of you know our, our podcasting audience by buying an ad with us. We love that and appreciate it. But you do that and, and Telefluence is a way to do that, to find these micro-influencers, not the people, and I don't know how much money changed hands with Dylan Mulvaney, but I'm sure it wasn't free, you know, or they, they talked about how much Kanye got from Adidas. Like that's a lot of money. You work with these micro-influencers, you get in front of the brands, but if your micro-influencer screws up and like, you know, gets arrested for a DUI, you're just like, I don't know. I'm like, whatever. I got lots of people who like my brand. It's, it's not my fault. So I think that that's a good hack to get influencers to promote your brand, but without really getting the risk of that shareholder value. And it's not just Dill Mulvaney. It's not just, you know, Michael Jordan. There's so many instances where these things went completely wrong. You know, every time there's a celebrity and they do something wrong, like I think OJ, before OJ even was you know, tried with murder, he had a domestic abuse situation where Hertz had to drop him. So there's been, you know, numerous football players and other athletes that have done something wrong and they've been dropped. I think Tiger Woods lost some of his sponsorships when he had his issues with his, his ex-wife. So it, this happens all the time, but again, this hack to get in front of brands with micro-influencers, cheaper and way, way, way less risky. So I don't think, you know, Nike thought there was a risk when they partnered with Tiger Woods and it probably wasn't a huge risk to the brand, but to continue to pay Tiger Woods when there are issues, you definitely don't want to do that. What are your thoughts around hacks around this? Aside for obviously sponsor our podcast. <laughs> right. There's always the right choice. So I ran a couple of influencer campaigns. I think micro-influencers generally very underrated, very smart. One thing that I learned, though, is the best influencer campaigns come out of listening to influencers and watching influencers. I don't think that the Anheuser Bush Bud Light campaign with Dylan Mulvaney was actually sponsored with money, but somebody sat down, like truly followed the person, understood that their gender transition anniversary was coming up and sent them a bottle. And I, I, I don't know if this is actually true, but I think that it was an organic posting without money exchange. And I think that's where so many brands are lacking and coming in short. Again, I'm working with a couple of companies and some of them do influencer marketing to, to boost their content or their brand or, or you know whatever it is. So often, are executives looking for a shortcut by just saying, who can we pay money? And then you know they, they should say something that we want. But the better way, the much more efficient, sometimes free way is to look at what influencers fit to our values and our brand. What are they talking about? And can we provide something, support them with something that makes sense in their narrative, that fits into what they have been talking about, what they have been posting? And let's just do it for them or send, send it to them without, any, without any, any expectation. And then see if we maybe get a shout out. Or maybe they come back to us and say, you know what, I'm going to give you a shout out, but I still want money. And then you pay that money. But I think that's where the best campaigns come in because then the influencer or the, the person with an audience doesn't have to make a detour, right? I always think about it as somebody with an audience who kind of, you drive on the street and sometimes sponsored campaigns force you to, to, you know, to take a detour or go a different route that doesn't really fit your narrative and your brand theme. And the best campaigns are those where you can, with just like another post, but you know, this time it's sponsored and there is a brand involved because it gets more engagement. It comes across as more on brand and maybe maybe authentic authentic is the wrong word, but as more natural. So taking the time to listen and analyze is a big, big differentiator in the engagement you get from an influencer campaign and sometimes even the money you pay. And you're right. You don't even have to give money. 
I mean, if you've ever gone to like a concert or a sports game where they give out t-shirts and people like battle each other to get a t-shirt, you know, that's, that's real. I, I love getting t-shirts from brands. I love sweatshirts from brands, free software. Like somebody gives you something, let's say, um, you get a sweatshirt, like shout out to OnCrawl, you know, OnCrawl gave me a sweatshirt, which I love wearing and everywhere I go with that OnCrawl sweatshirt, which, you know, costs them 25 bucks, I'm advertising to their brand. So I happen to live in a place where I don't think anybody's any idea what OnCrawl is, and they're never going to buy OnCrawl just in case they're getting $25 sponsorship off that sweatshirt. So I think that's something that you, that any brand can do. I think it goes even beneath micro-influencer. You're giving out swag. You're giving out something like, I you know, go to a coffee shop and you look at someone's laptop and they have so many logos and they can only work for one of those companies. They only work for maybe a few of them in their past, but really those are free stickers. They're advertising their brand and people are seeing that brand and they just feel like it's everywhere. So I love it. You know, I think that's a, that's a secondary hack to working with micro-influencers. You're, you're finding ways to put your brand elsewhere and have other people promote your brand by giving them free stuff. And it can be as cheap as a sticker, you know, a little bit more expensive as the coffee mug. You know, there've been times you and I have been on this podcast or I was drinking out of my, you know, Semrush coffee mug and you're out drinking out of your Atrus coffee mug. You know, the, the brands are out there, you know, who, in this case, Semrush and Ahrefs are getting free sponsorships off the podcast just because we're holding that mug. Or you're wearing a softer sweatshirt, which is a, a really amazing no-code product the other day. So like, great. This is, that's a second hack. And, you know, we'll put this in the show notes. You know, work with IntelFluence, work with micro-influencers, or just give out swag. Work with many, many influencers and get people to promote you and, you know, share you on social media. Little, little comment. I absolutely agree little kind of, you know, cherry on top, differentiate your swag with quality. I see a lot of brands that send a lot of cheap stuff out there. I don't think that's worth it. I would much rather spend maybe $100 on a t-shirt and send it out to 10 people than, you know, 10 bucks and send it out to 100 people. And just to, to reiterate that, and if anybody wants to send us gifts, you know, get in touch. But just, whenever you're sending gifts, I think it's the worst thing to do to send food or wine because it's yeah. consumed. And I got some gifts this past year from some brands I've worked with, like socks and hats. Again, I don't think those are great. People aren't going to wear, like say I wear the socks and no one's going to see that. T-shirts, sweatshirts, things that people are going to see when so, when you, whoever you're giving that to is, is going out in public. If you have wine though, <laughs> send it over to me. I'll greatly appreciate it. Uh, send me uh, wine wrapped in a sweatshirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what we'll do. Cool. The next episode, we'll drink wine and sponsor shirts and all that kind of stuff. Eli, I think we're, I think we reached the goal here. Thanks again for sharing your opinion and debating with me and I'll talk to you next week. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. And now it's your turn. Head over to contrarianmarketingpodcast.com and subscribe to the free weekly newsletter to get a summary of today's episode, key takeaways, and community content. And while you're there, go to today's episode and leave your opinion in the comments. We'll feature the best thoughts in the newsletter and on the podcast. Also, if you like today's episode, please feel free to leave five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. As always, thanks so much for tuning in and here next week.